Welcome to Perceptions Today podcast, where we discuss consciousness in all forms. April 2022, episode 21, Aaron Voot joins us to discuss The Spirit in the Sky, part one of three. Aaron Voot is a passionate researcher, along with being an author of The Spirit in the Sky, Ancient Cosmological Gods and Where in the World We Find Them, DMT, Deities, Myths and Tryptamines, and also Devolution Cycle. And he's given me the, the, the major honour in my life anyway, of issuing one of my articles in the book, The Spirit in the Sky, Ancient Cosmological Gods and Where in the World We Find Them as author of the month, which has given me a platform to, to do what I'm doing uh, today and to continue writing. And yeah, I, 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 I can't, can't thank people like that enough, you know. Um, may long it continue, may long it continue. So, yeah, thanks, Paul. This is an instance of the conversation coming up in the roundtable discussion. Participants knew it was being recorded. Um, quickly go over those. <laughs> oh. Paul, I have to apologize. My intuition prompted me to remind you to hit record, and I did not. I failed you. I'm sorry. Right, that's good. Right, let's just check. Recording is working now. That's good. Look, got into the right room. Take number two. Precisely. It wouldn't be that. I mean, if we ever got one of the three straight, it would be hilarious. I really appreciated Paul's live panic attack. It was very entertaining. <laughs> like the world was about to end. Pause, pause. <laughs> Stop. You're hilarious. It's because it's good old Richard's one. And obviously I said, I've got 22 of these backed up that I need to edit. And it would be hilarious to go, we've just done three hours. Uh, can we do it again? Because <laughs> I've I just missed the one that I thought we'd have. It's a glitch in a matrix, buddy. Just blame the machine elves. That's all it is. Oh, I don't. I just enjoy the chaos and them. Right. Okay. Everybody pause. Going through this quickly. <sighs> Deep breath. I'm watching this recording button. Good. It's all good. Yeah, there we go. I didn't know it's recording. Right. Okay. Welcome to Perceptions Today. It's UK Day 2022. It's the 8th of March. It's the six-month anniversary of these Twitter Space events where we do have no problems at all and it all goes smoothly. It's Twitter Space chat number 24. We have a great pleasure to introduce RN Voot, commonly known as Rick or Richard, depending on how you want to call him. We have many new events that will be turning up, which happen to be on the 10th of March at UK 7pm, we've got Laird Scranton coming to talk with a question and answer session, which will be on Zoom. Then on the 22nd of March, we happen to have Mike Frito, who happens to be an author and in the room. He will be talking about imagination, consciousness and revolution. That will be UK time, 7 o'clock as well. And then on the 23rd of March, UK time, 7pm, is Stephanie Quick coming back to talk about synchronicities then we go into april and we happen to have on the 6th of april between 9 a.m to 11 a.m and then 3 p.m to 5 p.m anthony peak coming back to talk about basically a meet and greet again which is good so the last three that i've mentioned will be twitter space events we also have many more events and also podcasts we also have the Perceptions Today community page on YouTube, as well as our own page. You can find all of these under the bio link in Twitter, or you can find it in Linktree, which is L-I-N-K-T-R dot double E forward slash perceptions, full stop today. If you want to go through and have a conversation with RN Voot today, obviously make sure that you raise your hand and we can give you the access and make sure that we don't over have over talking. We'll make sure that what the hands go up in sequence, we get those and also make sure that we go back on track. My name is Paul of Perceptions Today and Melissa is of Centered Awareness, my co-host. Thought I'd change it around. And then obviously, Melissa, do you want to say hello? And then you can introduce RN Voot. Hi, my name is Melissa of Centered Awareness. Um, I'm Paul's co-host. Welcome to our six-month anniversary for the Perceptions Today community. We're very excited to have you all here. Very excited to also have um, RN Voot, Richard, who is a um, well-known author and researcher. Welcome, Richard. Thank you so much, guys. That was a little bit deja vu. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. Like I said, prior to the record button being switched, Paul, nice to see so many friendly places in the room. So... Hopefully that will settle a few nerves and bits and pieces. But yeah, a little bit about myself, I guess. First of all, I'd like to say I don't claim to be a chemist. I'm not a biologist. 
I'm not a geologist or an Egyptologist, just a curious researcher and writer. Realistically, because of this, the nature of my research, albeit linked to religion somewhat, it's certainly not my intention to offend anyone. So, yeah, you can you can run with this information or run away from it. The, the choice is entirely yours. But uh, back to who am I and how did I get here? I always really had an interest in all things ancient, and my curiosity was initially piqued after reading Graham Hancock's Fingerprints of the Gods um, some 20, 25 years or so ago now. And I always wanted to kind of contribute towards the course somewhat, but didn't really want to simply regurgitate the offerings of other authors. Um, I wanted to bring my own, I guess, proverbial piece of the prehistoric puzzle to the table and see what, see what people make of it. That said, I was, back to my background, I was a member of the European Space Agency's security team, and my commitment and my schedule, because of that, it was almost impossible for, for me to find the time to actually put pen to paper and write some of this stuff down. Um, and I spent a lot of time discussing my research with colleagues who basically implored me to write it down and, and put it out there. And by twist of fate, I somewhat fell into... Um, the writing escapades quite literally because after taking a fall in the South American jungle about 10 years or so ago now, I was actually flown home directly the next day, was given three spinal surgeries and it was during my rehabilitation from said surgeries that I actually found the time to put pen to paper and write my first book, um, Devolution Cycle, which is a fictional tale loosely based upon prehistoric and historic anomalies alongside Tesla's Warden Hill Electromagnetic Energy Tower and the Great Pyramid of Giza. And it's a story which I'm still quite proud of. But it's not it's really worthwhile cool. reading. I've read it. Thank you so much, Paul. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's got a couple I wouldn't of... tell people to go and read things that I found boring. <laughs> it was a fun Only tale. if they annoyed me. Only if they annoyed yeah. me. <laughs> I'm sure I've annoyed, annoyed you on more than one occasion, buddy. <laughs> um, but no, I'm, I'm still extremely proud of putting Devolution Cycle out there. It, as I say, it was a fictional town loosely based on alternative researchers of the, of the modern era, including uh, Chris Dunn, who, who wrote the, the Giza, power theory, Giza Power Plant Theory, I beg your pardon. And yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's a fun story, but that's not what I'm really here to talk about today. It was basically when I was writing this, I actually stumbled upon the work of Dr. Rick Strassman, on Joe Rogan's DMT, the Spirit Molecule documentary, when everything kind of, I guess, fell into place. Before this, however, I hadn't heard of DMT. It, was, it wasn't on my radar. I had no clue about it whatsoever. And in fairness, a lot of researchers, scientists and the like and writers still have no real idea what DMT is about today. And it's a very perplexing mystery but it's, 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 a, it's a psychedelic chemical compound that's found, it permeates the, the natural world. It's found in almost all plants, animals, human beings. It's found in, in our brains, in, in our eyes, the, um, the cerebral cortex, the, the spinal fluid and lungs. There's somewhat hearsay that it's produced by the pineal gland. Um, we know it's in the pineal gland. It can be found in there. Um, but where, it, where it's produced, we, we still don't know. But my, my curiosity was, was, was basically forever peaked, and I was simply blown away by what I'd seen with the, with the show that Dr. Rick Strassman produced, as I said, with, with, with Joe Rogan. Um, but even more astonishing was, for myself, was the fact that I knew that I'd seen the molecular structure, albeit a two-dimensional two rendition of DMT, somewhere before. I, I, I couldn't put my finger on it. I didn't know where I'd seen it. But before... Before all of this, though, I was actually privy to the research of Laird Scranton and the nomadic African tribe known as the Dogon, which I won't elaborate on too much as the man himself will, will be here, no doubt, on Thursday, and he's going to blow your minds forevermore. But the Dogon were rather explicit in citing that cannabis was their go-to tree of life and remained rather steadfast in believing that it came from Sirius or at least the constellation of Canis Major, the big dog in the sky. 
And I thought, well, and there's a pun here somewhere. Could they be serious? Is it really coming from outer space? What do they mean by this? But as you'll find out on Thursday through Led, that uh, the Dogen were and still are in possession of a cosmology, which certainly appears to mirror more than our own understanding of the subatomic realms of exploration. And to cut a long story short, I wondered if that meant something wholly allegorical, whereby cannabis came from space or, or or something else entirely. But etymologically speaking, the prefix canna is associated with canine or dog, and the suffix bis or by means two. So we've got kind of, yeah, it's kind of, it, yeah, it's linked etymologically, no doubt. But it's through French anthropologists, Dietlian Grill's book that they published in the middle of last century, uh, The Powell Fox, that we discovered that the Dogen were, in fact, really to serious being a binary star system. So they clearly know something that we still can't explain today. What did they mean by cannabis's origins came from Sirius? I couldn't help wonder if there had to be a far more deeper meaning. If they were, as it appeared, scientifically savvy to the molecules and particles which make up the nuts and bolts of consensus reality, I, I couldn't help but think, could they be, be saying something more, more or less like, could cannabis be actually born of a structure similar to something that we witness in the night sky within the Sirian star system, a kind of as above, so below formula, if you like, which identifies the nature of cannabis through molecules and metaphor. So I decided to join the proverbial dots in the sky. And it, it admittedly, it wasn't a carbon copy. And there's a pun there somewhere to do with the stars, but it was extremely close. And I wondered if there could be, if there could be more. And again, it was through the work of Scranton that we learned that the Dogen were considered pre-dynastic um, ancient Egyptians themselves before migrating west to modern-day Mali sometime around 3100 BC. And I couldn't help think if this had been actually used as a tried and tested formula, somewhat borrowed, if you like, for their own um, from their own ancient Egyptian counterparts. Um, and it was here that, I guess, synchronicity kind of played its part and the timing was was perfect as i say i was tying up my my first book devolution cycle when i was became privy to the the spirit molecule documentary by strassman and rogan it had basically finished and I, I disappeared down to the beach my mind was was going in a million different directions thinking where where have i seen this where have i seen this it's so familiar to me even though i Obviously, I'd just been introduced to this 2D rendering of the molecular structure of DMT only moments ago via my video screen. And I was sitting outside, as I say, on the beach in the dark, nice and cloudy night, and I was just relaxing, racking my brain. Where have I seen DMT before? Where have I seen this before? And it was, it was like, a, it was, it was <laughs> almost scripted like an epiphany, like the clouds literally parted, parted, and there she was. It was Orion, DMT. It was the spirit in the sky, and it, it literally hit me like a cold bucket of water in the face. I was just completely astonished by what I was seeing. I knew the myth of Osiris and understood that Osiris, the god of resurrection and the other or underworld was looked upon as the celestial hunter of the heavens, which was synonymous with, with Orion. But I also knew that Osiris was closely associated with the Acacia and that Acacia was, I just found out due to the documentary I've just watched, that it was a primary source of extractable DMT. And I was totally astonished. I, I really couldn't believe that no one had really put this together before. So I guess the myth of Osiris appeared as an allegorical it appeared allegorical with regard to the otherworldly nature of DMT and where in the world we could actually find it or indeed extract it. So it was then that I decided to basically put pen to paper and, and publish the hypothesis of the spirit in the sky. And it's here where I guess the synchronicities just kept coming. It was, I'm still kind of gobsmacked and it rendered me speechless at the time, but I'd like to, like to share this with you because truth be told, at the time, I never wanted to become a parent in so much that I didn't really want to bring a child in such, into such a mad and mixed up crazy world. Um, but upon completing the book, um, in fact, the night it was actually published um, and went live on Amazon, I had a quiet word with the constellation of Orion, feeling quite stoked that I would just publish my second, um, my second work. And was extremely excited about the publication. And deep down, I hoped that it would go some small way into basically making the world, making the world a better place, really. 
for want of a better description, <laughs> I, I I told Orion that I was ready. I was ready to be become a dad, to become a father. Um, if indeed this book, if I'd got it right with regards to what this mythological tale may or may not envisage with regards to the myth of Osiris and, and DMT therein, I thought to myself, well, let's do this. Let's let's maybe try for a child. Um, and by twist of fate, my girlfriend at the time, she came home from, from work the next day uh, and she said, okay, you might want to sit down for this. And, and I knew exactly what she was going to say. She, she said to me, you're going to be a dad. I'm pregnant. And I, I just, I just smiled and started crying. And the crazy thing with regards to this, I mean, the, the crazy kicker is that on the day my son was born, I left the hospital in a taxi because, I mean, I actually drove to the hospital, but I was just in bits. I was just shaking. I was all over the place. I'd just become a dad for the first time. Didn't really feel like I was up to driving. Um, jumped in a taxi. Um, and the taxi driver switched the radio on. And what was playing on the radio? It was the spirit in the sky. <laughs> and my mind was forever blown. And I, 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 I I just started crying again. It was absolutely amazing. So yeah, that's a, a brief introduction to who I am and, and, and how I got here. I think, think it'd be a good idea to see if anyone's actually got hold of your book and read it in here. So if you, okay, excellent. Gabe has done that. So if we use the heart symbol to see how many people have actually read it. Okay. And also it'd be interesting to use say the clapping hands to see how many people have listened to you on a podcast before because then you got a gauge of what information you can then pass across to people okay so we've got white beard and also again i have to basis on people driving and not driving and what they can actually get hold of if you want to read the book okay good yeah so we've got paranormal blip is in nice to see you pete again i would just quickly go through some of the people that are in the room that is worthwhile knowing about Paranormal Blip, known as Pete, is a podcaster, and I'm going to let him speak now. Sorry, Paul. I'm, <laughs> I'm so um, rusty, rusty at this. I thought I was—I thought that was the wave symbol. I don't have anything to say. That is, um, you know, uh, what's the word? Wise. I feel awful. I've got a terrible headache and a streaming cold. So I was just going to wave silently. So um, yeah, but it's lovely to hear you. I am Boots and uh, everyone else. Sorry to hear that you've actually got a cold in this scenario. I know this is the second one you've had this year. And obviously, feeling that way, we will obviously look at whatever symbols you put up and give them the benefit of the doubt what goes on. You've also got Natural Born Alchemist, who's also a podcaster, does very well on the psychedelic and cultural kind of episodes of talking to people. And as I said before, you've got Mike Frito, who's a is an author. He is a decent author, but sometimes using phrasing like that. And you got Myron Dahl, who's an artist, also a mystic as well. And you got Dr. M and also Mark Allen on UFO research and paranormal and consciousness, as well as Wild Eyes and Ah, Trent. Trent, my man, how are you doing? Of continuing the conversation. Nice to see you pop in. I've given you the option to pick up for speaking. And when it comes down to reading Rex Richard's books they're very easy to get on with they're not pitched in a high technical term languages and words you can easily sit down and go through them and understand easily without having to go and reference other bits and pieces but obviously he's got a lot more information which would have come out in separate volumes which I think is the best thing to say isn't it Richard yeah no Dan I appreciate that you say that thank you very much um yeah, my initial my initial target audience was to basically put this in layman's terms because I mean, as I said, essentially that's what I am as well. I'm not I'm not a uh, I'm not a scientist, not a geologist, not an Egyptologist X Y Z. Um, I'm just a really curious and passionate guy, you know, trying to find out some of the some of the mysteries in life. Where do we come from? Where are we going? What's next? Um, and so on, you know. Um, yeah, and no, I, yeah, I, I just I appreciate the kind words you said about the book. I mean, initially, I I wrote the Spirit in the Sky, and it was pretty much four times as long as it as as, as the finished article is today. But due to the nature of self publishing via Amazon, it 
basically turned out that the book was going to cost four times the amount to produce and therefore uh, for the public to, to purchase. And realistically, no one would have touched it with a barge pole, you know? Um, I mean, if the likes of Graham Hancock has, uh, writes a book and puts it out there for in excess of 40 odd English pounds, you're going to struggle somewhat thinking, man, that's a lot of money for a book. So, um, yeah, I had to try and shave the sides down and make it a lot more digestible um, in order to, to market it and pitch it to the public, really. Um, but that's it as well. I do have to thank Graham Hancock um, for, for yeah, for his support, realistically. He's... Um, He's, he's recognized my research and he's given me the, the, the major honor in my life anyway of issuing one of my articles in the book, The Spirit in the Sky, Ancient Cosmological Gods and Where in the World We Find Them as author of the month, which has given me a platform to, to do what I'm doing uh, today and to continue writing. And yeah, I, 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 I can't, can't thank people like that enough, you know. Um, may long it continue. May long it continue. So yeah, thanks, Paul. Not a problem. So we can open the floor up for questions. So once we see hands go up, then obviously I will we'll make a note and bring them up. I know Trent will want to. Um, ah, the hand goes up, and lo and behold, right, yes, white beard. Hey, Richard. Um, I would love to – I'm sure this is in your book, so I apologize, but I, I'd love to hear you expand a little bit more verbally uh, on your association with DMT and Osiris Um as far as I understand, you know, when you die, we get a flux of DMT or some have led to the possibility that when we have an out-of-body experience or a near-death experience, perhaps this is also a flush of DMT. And, and I kind of and I don't view this as like a, as an hallucinatory type thing where we're just having a reaction. But perhaps the DMT breaks the filters in the brain and it allows you to rewire or have a rebirth. And I'm wondering, I'd like to hear your words and how you relate this to the story and the analogy of the white beard, just to check to see. I'm hearing your audio not cr clearly. Just want to check with Melissa and Richard to see if they can hear you clearly. And it's just issues on my end. It, yeah, you're, you're cutting out a little bit, white beard. I, I can still understand what you're saying. Like I caught it all. But it's just um, it sounds like you're cutting in and out a little bit. Okay, how about now? Is it better? Yeah, that's go for better. a full sentence. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry about that. I don't know what's no, up no, with no, that's not a problem. As long as we catch it, so you don't oh, have to repeat um, too many times. <laughs> uh, what I was stating was, is I'd love to get your opinion. As I said, I know it's probably in your book, so I apologize, but I'd love to hear you say, verb, you know, your opinion verbally. Um, how you relate, you know, your experience with DMT to the story of Osiris, and meaning that, you know, when it's known when we die, we have a flush of DMT. And some have led to the idea that when we have an out-of-body experience or a near-death experience, we also have a flush of DMT, uh, possibly. And, and I don't view this as like um, a hallucinatory thing, but more of like uh, something, you know, the DMT breaks the filters in your brain and you're able to view more and maybe possibly rewire and rebirth. And I'm curious how you associate this with the analogy of Osiris. Okay. I'll Got the best part of that, so <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think he's got to not walk around a lot because I think that's what's possibly causing the issue with white beards <laughs> audio. Yeah, I think that um, realistically, the with regards to to when we die um, and this burst of DMT that's that, that's been put out there as a hypothesis. I mean, the hypothesis is it's the jury's still out with regards to the nuts and bolts of how. How, how, yeah, if, if, if DMT has anything to do with, I don't know, the soul's progression into another immaterial reality or whatever it may or may not be. Um, I know that the science at the moment is saying that within the brain, we, we understand that there's, I think, um, I hope I'm not gonna, not gonna butcher this, um, but one of the latest papers was saying that there was something like a 600 fold increase in DMT at the moment of death in the brain. But because the amount of DMT that is endogenous in the brain, even though 600 fold sounds like a tremendous increase, I don't believe as far as the science is aware at the minute, that that would have too much of a profound effect with regards to the Descartes kind of hypothesis with regards to the gateway of the soul, like, like, like Strassman was saying, um, at birth and death, 
um, or a near-death experience that that, that that DMT might have something to do with a pathway into another another existence or the ether around us. Yeah, the 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 the, the science is, in my opinion, I think that the science is slowly starting to catch up with the mythology. Um, the reason I say this is because I think the and I'd like to believe that that Laird's going to really impact this a lot more with regards to the citations that, that I hold um, Mr. Scranton to in both of my works regarding DMC and the hypothesis of, of, of Osiris is that the Dogen seem to be, well, not seem to be, they are in, in indisputably in, in, in possession of a knowledge of the subatomic realms um, of, of biology and science that we're only starting to get a, a real clear perspective on today. And I'm sure that Lair's going to do that a world of justice come, come Thursday. But without that kind of sort of backbone per se, my hypothesis wouldn't really hold a lot of water. But because, yeah, because we find that the ancients were I guess, privy to the subatomic realms for one reason or another. And I'm not saying, and I don't even think that Laird would even say that the Dogen understand the, the, the profundity or the significance with regards to the subatomic realms regarding their pictoglyphs, which basically mirror what you'd see on an astrophysicist's whiteboard in a, in, in, in a 21st century laboratory today. But what they have done, because they've been so isolated per se, um, as a nomadic tribe in Western Mali, is that they haven't had, they haven't really been kind of poisoned or tainted by Western society. So they've kind of kept the nuts and bolts of their inherited knowledge, let's say, over the past 5,000 years or so. And it's becoming clear today that what they are in possession of is, is a science that realistically his historic record has no rhyme or reason for them to be in possession of such a savvy science. Um, and going back to, I, mean, I mentioned Graham Hancock with regards to the Okay, Richard, we got Sam's got his hand up, so I just want to make sure that we keep yes, on definitely. with where the questions come from. But the other good yeah. thing is that with Laird's work, the symbology with the Dogans for cosmology, biology, and there's a third set, all the imagery almost matches up without having to change the symbols. They can depict the same things, which is fascinating. Entirely, entirely. And, it, and it's not just that the Dogans symbology is marrying up with modern day science. It, 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 it appears to be marrying up with the same cosmologies that we're seeing across an otherwise interconnected globe which must have at one point in time been connected because they're all remembering a, cer a certain allegorical mythology that makes scientific sense in in the 21st century um and and it, it's it's almost beyond explanation and unfortunately it's been labeled as a as a pseudoscience instead of science so true sam i know we haven't spoken before so i'm Gagey, what's going sorry. on? Uh, hello, hello. Sorry, my reader had his hand up as well. Hang on, um, who had what? Where? When? Sorry, Mike Fiorita, he had his hand up, but then he put it down, so I don't know if you still want to speak, Mike. Oh, Otherwise, it's a fist fight. Sam, then Mike, which one first? That's going to be it. Go, go ahead, Sam. Go ahead, Sam. Thank you, Melissa. Oh, thank you. Thanks, Mike. And good call, Melissa. I, you know, you got to be in order. Everything's got to go right. Uh, I really appreciate your guys' time. Uh, I've never read your books, but I, they're on my list now because I'm 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 a huge fan of Graham Hancock and um, just you know alternative history and and that kind of stuff. Um, I've been a you know I've been looking into consciousness and stuff for a long time and and uh, definitely aware of the Dogon tribe and. Something that's been interesting me lately, is, which I think is kind of lining up with what you're talking about, is uh, looking into a lot of these old civilizations and old cultures and their religions and their um, their practices and their art even, and you find a lot of uh, similarities and a lot of threads that go between almost all cultures, especially the older ones. 
um, and especially in terms of their non-physical reality, their descriptions of non-physical reality of the spirit world or astral world or what have you. And I'm starting to become uh, humbled as I look into more history um, and more um, religious history, especially from the perspective of uh, were these people aware of a non-physical world, the, the type of world we're trying to decipher now in ufology and even like spiritualism and stuff, uh, the spirit realm. And what, it, what has occurred to me, um, and I would like to, to know your, in, uh, your thoughts on this, but what's occurring to me recently is that um, a lot of these old um, myths and old rituals and these things that you would, that I tried to decipher through different lenses of, um, of things, uh, it's starting to match up with a lot of the quantum physics and uh, the physicist descriptions of the universe and of, of time and of consciousness. And I wonder, have you found any uh, similarities between like the idea of these other non-physical realities, these astral worlds, these spirit realms, um, that we kind of look over today with science, we don't really acknowledge it, but right now it seems like they're being married. And do you see any threads between this astral world and the the types of sciences and religious ideas and that you're finding as you dig deep into the archaeology? Yeah, that's a that's a great um, great perception, um, and one that again I keep reverting back to to Laird Scranton, but it was through Scranton's um, research that. He talks about, it goes back to the Dogen once again and how the Dogen science and symbology relate, relates alongside um, almost mirror image of the, the Buddhist cosmology. Now, the, the Buddhist cosmology talks about how they were basically bestowed their, their profound information and religious beliefs from a non-human source, which doesn't doesn't make much sense outside of the the ufology um, crowd. But that said, um, the Dogen, we find out, were a lot more explicit when stating that their cosmology was bestowed to them via not so much a, a non-human form, but a non-material form. And the Dogen cosmology, if I've got this correct talk about the birth of our own universe alongside a immaterial twin universe, if that makes any sense, whereby the, where we are in the material world, we have an, we have, um, let's say, uh, an incomplete understanding of the cosmos, but because we're material beings, we have the tools to act upon our thoughts and our actions. But, the Dogen state that the immaterial world have a perfect knowledge and a fundamental understanding of all things relating to, to the nature of the cosmos and reality, but because they're immaterial, they don't have the tools at their disposal to act upon their knowledge. Although that said, there comes a time through the cycles of procession, which might go quite hand in hand with the Hindu cosmology regarding the yugas and the yuga cycles, whereby we have a rise and fall of ages with a golden age um, that will rise and, and uh, reach a peak and then descend. But there comes a time whereby, let's say, the sand in the hourglass is perfectly balanced and the immaterial have a let's have almost a stitch in time where they can act with the material um, and, and, and possibly impart knowledge that's otherwise inaccessible for the material world from the immaterial other, if that makes any sense whatsoever. It does. And also the fact that he ties it with the Chinese, the Maori, the Orkney Islands, and obviously Egypt and other places. And it all seems to be, coming from the same source information doesn't it indeed indeed and you'll find that whether it's whether it's maui ancient egyptian um mayan aztec hindi um i mean you, 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 yeah you name it the, the 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 construction techniques that we see um around the globe were quite clearly used from the same template let's say and unfortunately 
the archaeologists and Egyptologists of the day, they, they just refute it. They say, no, it's not possible. It's not possible. But, I mean, I... You, what are, they, what are they looking at? They're obviously not looking at the same monuments and the same construction techniques and the same cosmologies and the same thought process that seems to be repeated across a globe that is otherwise understood being not in direct contact, um, but they're using the same hymn sheet, let's say. Um, and it's... It's for yeah. It's just, it's just extremely it's extremely frustrating. You can see why the likes of the Hancocks of the world um, find it so frustrating. You know, um, for for I don't know how long we've been saying the. Oh, sorry, my phone just glitched out. Are you there? Nope, you're still here. That's okay. Absolutely. Okay, now my phone glitched out. I do apologize. I thought you Myron's disappeared. Got... No, it's okay. My well, we got Mike. Yeah, so obviously between when it was a fight between Mike and Sam, and it's nice to see you, Sam. First time person coming here, obviously. How did you find us, by the way, Sam? Just a quick one. I follow uh, and, am, and am in groups with a lot of the people here listening. I like Excellent. Whitebeard. And, mm-hmm. so, superb. Just, uh, so su- Super circle of friends. When you have the opportunity, or if you want, we do have an events list in the account bio. And as you heard, Laird Scranton will be talking on Thursday with us, which has just been arranged. We also have other podcasts with other people that have been in here before. So, like, we have a podcast that's been done with Paranormal Blip about reincarnation. We've talked to Marandal, and we got a four-hour podcast there. Mike Frito's one still in editing, and we have many other people still in editing at the moment wow. with me. Okay. So, well, if you can pick and choose, if you can't ever make a live event. Nice. Yeah, I'm definitely going to give you guys a follow, and this is going to be on my radar for years to come, I'm sure. Congratulations on your six-month anniversary. Thank you very much. Wish the best for you guys, and I'm going to be listening and popping in with questions as they come. Oh, superb. Put the hand up. We're quite happy because then we make sure everyone gets the opportunity. So we go to Mike, then Myron, and then obviously we've got yourself under control. We just had a message from Trent as in continuing the conversation. He's driving. He wants to get somewhere safe so he can actually – put a question to you again continuing the conversation podcast is a very good one about psychedelics how life is and just general things of what people like like in books they've created a community and that is a fantastic one to listen to so mike you're up thanks thanks paul and sam you know you had just joined so i wanted to give you the floor welcome uh, new new guests um, I, I wanted to, so, and uh, Rick, by the way, nice to meet you. Uh, we've known each other in the, on the etherwebs for some time and uh, familiar with your work. Um, I, I did, I think last year, I participated in a research study at John Hopkins. And they're very interested. There's a, there's a real interest now in asking, researchers want to know if you take psychedelics, do you have encounters with non-human intelligences or alien intelligences, whatever word you want to use. So that seems to be something people are very curious about. I know Rick Straussman explores that in depth as well. Uh, Do you think that is, and this is, I realize it's pure speculation, but is this, is DMT or are these uh, tools given to us as a, a way of communicating with, with other, other beings, is, do you think, or is that just a far-fetched question? No, I don't think it's far-fetched at all. Um, I, I, in fairness, I, I don't think anything's off the table, you know? Mm. Um, from, when I mean, they say DMT finds you, you don't find DMT. And even... Prior to, I mean, I, I, I published The Spirit in the Sky and I had DMT was, again, it was not on my radar. I, 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 I hadn't, yeah, I had no firsthand experience, let's say. And I was just, I was writing the book basically on affidavits of others. And it, yeah, to, to cut a long story short, um, DMT found me and it's very, very, very hard, almost nigh on impossible to verbalize um, the DMT experience for, for yeah, for all intended purposes. It, it almost, 
at least in my experience and from yeah from from friends and fellow researchers i i felt i felt it sounds so cliche but i i, I genuinely felt one with the universe i i felt like i had a higher understanding but i was in safe warm and loving hands and uh, admittedly the threshold experience prior to the initial breakthrough was absolutely terrifying there's 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 no two ways of putting it i i genuinely thought i was dying which is yeah it's 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 no over over elaborated way 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 to explain it because it, essentially the dmc experience it, it pretty much tricks your brain into a death-like state and puts you on almost fight or flight you know um but with that initial third or fourth hit of, of, of DMT and yeah. And the all encompassing fear that comes along with it, because as I say, I mean, I was, I was uh, a dad to a newborn son who was six months old. And with my experience, I was, I was lying on the balcony of my flat, the sunshine streaming through the window. And for all intent and purposes, I thought, Oh my God, this is, I'm the first person in history that's actually going to die on DMT. You know, I, I, my girlfriend's going to come home with my newborn son and I'm going to be dead. That's exactly what it felt like. And it was absolutely terrifying. Um, and that's when I experienced the, 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 yeah, the, the Terence McKenna archetype machine elves streaming through the window, which were no less terrifying at the time. Um, but I actually felt, yeah, I actually, I remember my, my head lulling to the side and I looked at the brickwork and I can, I can still, I still have the thought in my mind whereby I looked at the brickwork and I realized that even, even the brickwork was me. Everything in the room was me. I had a moment to almost divine clarity that, yeah, I might be dying, but everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to be just fine. Um, and then I, I, I guess for, for all intended purposes, I was given a whistle-stop tour of the cosmos and the nuts and bolts that make up consensus reality. And I came back shaking, um, literally shaking like a leaf, find my best friend um, and said, look, dude, can you hear me? Because I think I just died. I mean, I feel like a ghost right now. I'm absolutely petrified. I don't know what I've seen, but I, I, I can't put it into words. But for the first time ever, um, I've, I mean, I don't want to die, but I'm not afraid of dying. And f f yeah, for me, I was always, I was brought up under the, under the impression that when you die, it's fate to black. You just dust and bones. That's it. There's nothing more. It, it, it's game over. I'm glad you enjoyed the ride. There's nothing else to see here. Um, but yeah, after that initial experience, it, I'm literally the flip side of the coin. It, it couldn't be any further from the truth as far as I'm concerned. And I, and I know a lot of people that have had the experience as well that would agree with me that when you come back from this DMT experience, you come into this kind of clammy, sticky, sweaty meat suit that's kind of, it's, it's, a, it's a weird adjustment, let's say, Um but once, once, once the, yeah, once the DMT has actually passed through your blood brain barrier and you're back down to baseline, baseline levels, um, I think that it gives you a, a an, an all encompassing respect for the, for the immaterial, for the ether, for the, for the, for the metaphysical, um, and I hate to say it, I hate to say it, but I mean, I, I've never thought that we were alone in the universe. I, I never believed that for one minute that, I guess, aliens, beings, whatever you want to call them, that are, are going to visit Earth in, in, in tin pot baked bean can spaceships and then fly back home reporting on what they'd seen. I just thought that was a little bit kind of far-fetched um, with, yeah, with the size and distances of, of the universe, you know. But once I've had this DMT experience, um, 
I, yeah, I will say it. I, <laughs> I had, I had a UFO encounter as I was coming down from DMT and there's in my mind, in my mind's eye now, I, it wouldn't surprise me if, if the UFO, the UAP phenomena is around us almost 24 seven, but we don't actually have the tools at our disposal to actually perceive it with regard to the minimalistic expanse of the electromagnetic wave um, spectrum that, that we're privy to as, as human beings on, on planet earth, you know, the, 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 yeah, for for a hundred percent of the electromagnetic spectrum, we see what we call consensus reality accounts for naught point naught naught thirty five percent of that spectrum. The rest, it's invisible to us. We don't know what's there. Um, and I think that the likes of Dennis McKenna saying that DMT is a reality modulator or a reality switch, I don't think he's too far from the truth. Because when that switch was thrown in my brain, I saw things that I didn't think was possible. And I, I stand by them. I stand by what I've seen. And the immaterial reality that this substance took me to for a fleeting moment, it most certainly seemed realer than the telephone that I'm holding in my hand now. You know, it was, again, almost indescribable. I don't think that there's actually words in the human vocabulary um, to describe what else is out there. Oh, definitely. The heaven, we got messages coming in, by the way. Imagine Traveller, as in Eileen Meyer, she's sending her warmest thoughts to you, but she's coming for her final exam at the moment and presentation. And she is grateful that we're actually recording this, which obviously that could have gone so badly if I hadn't and actually realized I hadn't pressed the start record button. And again, with the quick one on Mike, I presume with his question, it's probably best to imagine a spring suspended from a ceiling and a weight below it. And when that weight weight is released, that's like the DMT sending you back to what is originally wherever you come from, rather than your human body being your originating point. You're going back to whatever the source is. Yeah, no doubt. Absolutely no doubt. Um, crikey, I'm... <laughs> yeah, I, I thought... I genuinely thought that after I'd had this experience, the, oh man, I can't, I can't wait to get back there. I want to find out more about this. I'm going to try and work this all out. But if, if my cards are on the table, um, I, w I, I, I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified because the feeling of call it ego death, call it what you want. But I, I genuinely thought I was dying. I genuinely thought I'm the guy that's going to be in the paper that, I'm the first guy that's died on DMT because that's 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 how it felt. That's how it felt. A man who can obviously relate to the closeness of kind of the death relation is Myron, and he's got his hand up, and then we've got obviously sensitive awareness there. Good no, evening, I Myron. Had my hand up. I had my hand up to let you know that Myron had, had a question, so it's all good. So am I allowed to speak? <laughs> you can. Oh, Fire right. away, my friend. Uh, well... Uh, now, a lot of the people here know know my story, so I don't want to I don't want to go through the whole thing again. But as far as as um, Orion is concerned, um, I have temporal lobe epilepsy, and when I was four, I was in a coma. When I came out of the coma, in I was three or four months, something like that. Um, that's 1948, so they didn't really know very much about anything in 1948. They don't know that much about anything now. Well, anyway, I came out of the coma, and I didn't know anybody. I didn't know my folks. I didn't know anybody. And in the room was a being uh, standing in the corner. And I saw, I saw it clearly, uh, and that... I felt at home with that being, but I didn't know my parents, my brother. I didn't know who the doctors were. I didn't know that those were doctors. I didn't know that the, the, the nurses were nurses, but I knew that this being standing in the corner, I knew that being. Okay. So I come out of the coma and I have to relearn all the basics of, of functionality of, of, uh, of your body and your mind and how to speak and, 
Uh, <clears throat> the only thing that, that uh, was not blocked was uh, music. I could play music before the coma and I could play after, I could play the music after because that's a different part of the brain. My, my uh, <clears throat> brain tumor is in, is in the, uh, is in the hippocampus. So I have temporal lobe epilepsy. Well, anyway, um, fast forward about, uh, oh, about two or three months, maybe, maybe a little longer than that. I really don't remember too much. Um, I was talking to my, my, this, my friend, as I call all that, the spirit that was with me. Sometimes it was male, sometimes it was female, sometimes it was just ether. But um, we were talking one day, as we, as friends do, and um, now my parents, of course, did not see this being, um, um, and I, well, anyway, we were talking one day, and uh, we was, it was early afternoon, and we were outside, and I was supposed to be just resting and, and all that, and <clears throat> recovering from, from all the medicine that they had pumped me th- with, mostly phenobarbital, but a lot of other stuff too. And I was looking up in the sky, and there was Orion. And now, of course, I was five years old. I didn't know Orion from, you know, from Mickey Mouse. So, um, Charon, my spirit guide, later on would be called Charon. My friend said to me, "You see that that star? Those 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 two stars and the one that is adjacent? That's Orion. That's what some people call Orion. That's what she said." what some people call Orion, but you are from a star around that third star in Orion's belt, and it's called Zelkon. This planet is called Zelkon. And now, if you just kind of think about that statement, there's no way a five-year-old is going to know Orion is Orion in the first place. Um, and to be told that that's where you're from and that we went there many, many times, in fact, thousands of times now, but, um, um, it was, it was, it was interesting that, that this spirit guide of mine used that term, Orion. Because, like you said, it could have been Osiris, it could have been anything. <clears throat> I don't know why she picked Orion as a name, but that's what she called it. But the planet was clearly Zelkon, which is, which is around, uh, which rotates around that third star in Orion's belt. And, and then uh, years later, I was studying Gnosticism. And the basic premise of Gnosticism is that that uh, you're in exile. You're, Earth is exile. Earth is kind of like hell. So you're in exile. And then the process in, in, in Gnosticism is that you have you feel a call. That's the first that's the first part of the process. You're called from this other place. And, um, and then after the call, um, there comes, um, an awareness that you are not from here. You're in exile from here. And, um, so after, after you figure out that you're in exile, um, the next thing is the next stage of it is to accept the fact that you're in exile. And then, um, after you accept the fact that you're in exile, then your mind is open to your real home. Now, that's a Gnostic text that's thousands of years old, and um, it fits what happened to me like a glove because I 
was told by Charon years later that I was from that star, from that planet, Zelkon. I know this sounds crazy, so don't, if you think I'm crazy, it's okay. Um, But the fact is that um, I go to Zelkon all the time. Now, I go out of body. I don't go there in a spaceship. (laughs) And um, I had real heartburn about about UFOs and all the rest of it. I, I, I think it's nonsense. And uh, I, I did for, oh, for as long as I can remember, even before I read Whitney Strieber's book, uh, Communion. I read, you know, I, I'd written, I'd read quite a bit and even Jung had talked about uh, that, that, that the, the myth, mythos of the future would be in space. Uh, if in the past it was on the earth and then in the future it would be in the, in space. So, uh, but I didn't, take, I didn't pay much attention to that. And um, so uh, I've been going to Zalcon for, well, six, well, 74 years now, seven, yeah, 74 years. And I can go there in an instant, in a second. I can be there now and talk to you here on this phone and walk it and travel it and explore it and all the rest. And Just a quick one for you, Myron. When you say you go, is that because of the epilepsy releases you to go or it's a conscious decision that you go? I just decide to go. Or Carol so that's quite... Says, mm-hmm. Or, or Karen says we're going to Zelkon today. Ah, so you don't really have, she, whichever at the time sexuality Karen is, she's the deciding factor to kind of release you that spring kind of recoil back to Zelkon in a manner, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't, I don't do anything metaphysically that Karen doesn't uh, tell me that we're going to do. She, she like for instance, she's she's standing right here, right, right next to me. And if she said to me, okay, we're going to go to Selcon now, then part of me, part of my consciousness would go to Zelcon and the rest would remain here talking to you. Now, I know that sounds weird, but it's, but I, I think that we're time and space are, you know, are a weird kind of thing. And, and, uh, I can be in multiple places at one time. When I started doing out-of-body experiments, <clears throat> I could find myself walking this, the same sidewalk at different times of my life, but not not touching myself, you know. And as a matter of fact, uh, I'll close with this one little story. But just before on... we get onto the story, I think Sam wants to possibly ask a question about what you were talking okay. about because his hands come up, so I just catch just make sure that happens uh thank you i actually did have a question for myron regarding uh, his experience and this might sound off the wall but a quick question for you myron and also thank you so much for sharing i mean this is very deeply personal uh obviously it's it's an experience that not a lot of people can identify with um but i don't think you have to (laughs) preface you i don't get to preface anything here the vibe i'm getting is that you don't have to preface anything here with i know this sounds crazy but because I think we're in the we're in the woo already, right? But right. Uh, quick question for you: um, before this experience, or just in general, growing up, um, how how would you describe your ability to visualize things in your mind's eye? Like if I said, "Close your eyes, imagine an apple." Uh, was that there fairly easy for you, or would you find things like that difficult the more complex you would get down the line of objects or or anything? Do you have any um, memories of that? The whole world to me, from the time I came out of the coma, uh, looked looked different. Um, Fair enough. Uh, it it didn't. Remember, I was trying to reconstruct what I had lost, mm-hmm. and um, so I was trying to put the puzzle back together again. And I'm not sure that I ever I, I ever achieved that. I, I don't know that the world is back. <clears throat> the way that that say friends of mine who are sitting here yesterday 
saw the world that I, I think For I sure. see the world completely different than they do. Uh, and I'm, can, I'm sure that you most quickly describe do. the world that you saw, like um, in your experience in that world. Cause I, I personally believe that everybody's a perception might be a little bit different. Um, so I think it, it, it would, you're definitely in all... the right spot. We dis we discuss everything like brain injuries, everything in here. And if you get the opportunity, have a look at Myron's website, as in myrondahl.com, and look at his artwork as well, because that represents it very well. To help our research and understanding, leave Perceptions Today's podcast reviews, subscribe to the podcast, along with the other social media accounts, and share. Come and join our live events. That way we can get together and have thoughtful discussions along with advancing our understanding of concepts as we go along.